Oh, hi. I'm your host, Kyle Brownrigg, and welcome to Best Actress, discussing Best Actress and Best Supporting Actress Oscar wins, who we feel should have won, and why. Here are the nominees for best performance by an actress in a leading role. Annette Benning in American Beauty. Janet McTeer in Tumbleweed. Julianne Moore in The End of the Affair. Meryl Streep in Music of the Heart. Hilary Swank in Boys Don't Cry. And the Oscar goes to Hilary Swank in Boys Don't Cry. Hello and welcome to another episode of Best Actress. Today we're going to be talking about the 2000 Ceremony Academy Award win for Best Actress for Hilary Swank. This was her first nomination and her first win for Boys Don't Cry. Um, if you've listened to this podcast before, whenever we covered Angelina Jolie's win for Girl Interrupted, you know that we've already covered Boys Don't Cry, but we mostly focused on Chloe Sevigny. Uh, we will obviously be doing a little bit of repeat, but this time, obviously, we'll be mostly focusing on Hillary. Uh, today's guest is a friend and a comedian, um, very successful comedian who recently released a book called Float Like a Butterfly, Drink Mint Tea, How I Beat the Shit Out of All My Addictions, which is available online for purchase on Amazon. Uh, Alex Wood. Hi, Alex. Thanks for having me, buddy. Of course. I'm so happy that you could finally do this podcast. It's definitely um, a very interesting year. Um, Before we get into it, I will just say that uh, for the 2000 Oscars, uh, Best Actor went to Kevin Spacey. Best Supporting Actor went to Michael Caine for The Cider House Rules. Best Supporting Actress went to Angelina Jolie for Girl Interrupted. Best Director went to Sam Mendes for American Beauty. And Best Picture went to... American Beauty. So, Alex, I do want to briefly talk about your book that was recently released that people can purchase online. So this book um, is about all of the addictions that you had in your life and how you overcame it. What was it like writing that book? And how do you feel now that it's out there and people are reading your journey and reading very personal, intimate details of your life? How does how do you feel about that? Well, I didn't expect anyone to read it. So everyone's been telling me like, wow, you really put it all on the line for this. And I was like, yeah, because I didn't think anybody would actually check it out. So yeah, when someone like messages me saying they read the book and it's somebody I know, I now feel very uh, (laughs) uh, vulnerable. I'm like, oh, you know a lot about me now. (laughs) Well, see, that's the thing. I find that whenever you look at any kind of art, whether it's written or it's acted or it's performed in some capacity, we always just kind of look because we don't know the person, but they're actually like bearing their heart and soul into their work. And that is a very, very difficult thing to do, especially as a comedian. You know, so uh, I think that what you did and what you wrote, it's very brave. And I'm very proud of you. I think that's amazing. Thank you very much. Yeah, that's cool to hear. Um, Yeah, I mean, I just kind of knew that I had to, uh, you know, write what was in my heart and uh, Mm -hmm. and then just let everything else take care of itself. (laughs) Yeah. Anybody listening to um, this as well also uh, should check out. You had a podcast as well called How I Quit Everything. Yeah, the podcast is how I got the book deal. Uh, 
I wrote an article for Vice about the podcast and then uh, my publisher read the article on Vice and then they were like, did you think about writing a book? And I was like, no, never. Wow. Let's give it a try. That's so, And you were also on Good Morning America, weren't you? The Today Show. Yeah. The Today Show. Yeah. I wish it was GMA. That would be much better. <laughs> well, I mean, the Today Show is still a pretty big deal. That's amazing. Congratulations. Yeah, thanks. So let's sort of just jump into these movies here. Before we begin, I will have to say that um, if I'm being completely frank, this was probably up there with one of my least favorite years to do. Um, I'm not going to lie. I wasn't really crazy about a lot of these movies. Um, We'll get into it. Um, but I will just say that, yeah, this of all of the years that I've done for this podcast, this is there was one year that I did for um, Diane Keaton for Annie Hall. And um, I had Fiona O'Brien as a guest and we just really didn't enjoy these films. I'm curious to see what your take is on it. Uh, this was not one of my faves, but we'll get into it. So let's talk about our first nominee. Let's talk about Meryl Streep in the movie called Music of the Heart. I've never seen this movie, but basically um, this movie is based on a real uh, woman named uh, Roberta Guasman, or I I saw two different names for her. I'm not sure I'm probably pronouncing that wrong, as I always do. And she basically started a violin program in East Harlem and how they wanted to take away her violin program because it was empowering children and, you know, giving them a, a chance at a future in music. And then, you know, they take it away and then she gets it back and then they get to perform at Carnegie Hall. And actually some of the woman's real life students were in this movie as Merrill students, which is sort of interesting. And it's a very feel good sort of mom Meryl Streep journey that you would sort of expect from her. Um, I'd never seen this movie before. And I don't really know if I'm ever going to revisit this one. This wasn't one of my favorite Meryl performances, but it is a Meryl Streep performance and it was a good one. So let's talk about this. Alex, what did you think about this movie? Music of the Heart is, without exaggeration, one of the worst films I've ever seen in my life. It is directed by Wes Craven, his only non horror movie. Uh, film and you can tell yeah. right away uh, that yeah. he is out of his element. Um, everything's a fade. I know this. I just wanted to get that in really quick. Every he fades between every scene. It's like a Hallmark movie. Uh, yeah. And then yes, I, I you will feel like Meryl Streep is human watching this movie <laughs> yes. because there's just no way to have a good performance in a film this bad. Like. I'm watching her being believable, emoting, being Meryl Streep, and still hating it. I was like, no, this is not (laughs) good at all. Yeah. I think that, um, you know, there is this kind of moment where, you know, Meryl is like this frightened white woman in the back of a cab heading into like East Harlem, like clutching her pearls and she's like terrified. And then you're thinking like, Okay, is this going to be one of those movies where it's like Meryl's going to the Har- East Harlem to solve racism? And they actually do kind of acknowledge that. And it really, uh, that's how it kind of seems like it's going to be. But it doesn't, it's its not really like that. And plus, it's based on a true story. Um, I think that, uh, I thought it was really funny how there was sort of that like evil villain music teacher that like wouldn't let her teach. <laughs> yeah. 
you know, and I loved that sort of funny dynamic. But um, I had, I think I'd heard of this. I think I've heard of this movie before, but I think there's a reason why it's probably not one of her more because her performance is really good. And I really like that song at the end. Is that boys to men? I'm not sure where it's like the, the song is called music of the heart. Um, I like that song. And those were the two things that were nominated for this movie, but everything else was strange. And yeah, the fact that it was directed by Wes Craven, anybody listen, if you don't know Wes Craven, basically, you know, horror, he did like the scream movies <laughs> and he was contractually um, obligated by um, Harvey Weinstein to do three movies. Two of them were horror and they agreed that one of them had to be serious. And this was the one serious dramatic movie. Well, if you look at his uh, filmography, it reads hilarious because it goes, yes, scream one, <laughs> scream two, Music of the Heart, yeah, three. So all I know. at the end of Music of the Heart, they were like, "Okay, let's get you back in your lane and let's do uh, Scream Three. Why not?" I think, though, you know, with Meryl, of course, it's Meryl. Like she, her relationship with Charles, her husband, was extremely sad to watch because she was so desperate to get him back, and the way that she would beg for him to come back, like on the phone. You know, that's very heartbreaking to watch and. Um, it's for her kids, especially, I feel like her best moment was whenever she explains to the little boy, um, her son, why her husband, why his father is not coming back. And she has to, cause he's like, it's you, you know, you men just hate you. It's like you ruin everything and you scare men off. And then she's like, no, it's like your dad's actually a piece of shit. And she was trying to protect her kids from telling them that. And then she has to be like, no, like your dad is not coming back because he chose somebody else over all of us. And um, I think when she's on the floor, you know, and she's crying and stuff, I think that was probably her Oscar moment uh, or like her Oscar scene, because she brings a lot of great acting into this movie. But I would agree with you when I (laughs) say it's not a great film. It's so confusing for so many reasons. I've, I've never seen a jump in time be so out of place and unnecessary as um, (laughs) the one that happens about an hour into the movie of 10 years later. And it's just, why didn't you just start the movie here? Or why didn't you just the movie before the jump? It's, it's, there's so many odd choices, but yeah, Meryl Streep, uh, I agree with the scenes that you highlighted. Those were the ones where it was like, okay, yeah, you're reminding everybody you're Meryl Streep right now. Um, after that phone call where she's begging the ex to come back and then having to explain to the son. Those were the two scenes I had uh, highlighted as well. Um, also, that song at the end is fantastic. and you, I, But I would rather listen to that song for two hours straight than watch this one. <laughs> and um, that's the other thing. This is the longest film on the docket, too. I know. Um, know. It's just so, so strange. Um also, the pacing of the movie is, I mean, so it's uh, her husband leaves her and her life is in complete disarray. And then she meets a new gentleman caller and then she gets a new job in Harlem teaching violin. And this all happens in the first 15 minutes of the movie. Yeah. And then there's like this 10 years later moment and you're like, oh my God, how long is this? It, I didn't like the way that the story was told. I thought the pacing was really, really weird. And I love how to like demonstrate that time has passed. They just kept giving her like a shaggier and more gray wig. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, it was, um, 
it was a great aging effect where they were like, you're going to look exactly the same, but, <laughs> but your hair is sun damaged. Yeah, no, 100%. Um, I also love how they made the kids as sad as possible. Like they had the one kid where she's like, you need to spread your legs. And then you're like, oh, but she has a brace on her legs. And you're like, oh, sad. And then the next kid is like a burn victim. And then like the next kid is like, you know, witnessed a murder is like in the witness relocation program. And you're like, okay, we need to dial it back. Wes Craven a little bit. But um, overall, you know, this whole thing about, Okay, teaching kids violin, like you're so you're such a good person. Good for you. This is I realize this is based on like a real a true story and stuff like that. But I feel like that would be like, realistically, that would be the most difficult task in the world. I feel like teaching a kid violin one on one would be very difficult. And then having to teach it to like, I don't know, like 15 kids at the same time. So young, that would just be very, very difficult. And um I would just I would be the worst at a job like that. Um, so I guess I guess to this woman's Roberta's credit, you know, that's actually a very impressive thing. Uh, she did actually establish this thing called um, the Opus 118 of East Harlem Violin Program. I don't know if it still exists, but uh, that was a thing that she actually uh, this real woman created. Um, and also Meryl Streep to learn how to play the violin she practiced six hours a day for four weeks so it is actually her playing violin in the movie okay that's very interesting and i respect that um immensely that's that's very challenging i'm i mean that makes me like the performance more but uh, well, this that's funny the, too, the, 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 the program ran out of money in real life right when the movie was coming out but then the movie resurrected the program because it got so much attention but mm. the movie lost 13 million dollars <laughs> like, what happened i don't understand did it it sounds like the movie saved the program but then bankrupted the program and if the movie lost 13 million dollars it's like well you could have just donated that 13 million dollars to the violin program and saved us all a bunch of time and heartache I know 100%. I'm genuinely not surprised to hear that. Um I also thought it was so fucking funny when like her her own kids filled out like a dating profile for her with like really corny little metaphors and like puns and stuff like that and you're watching it thinking like oh yeah the writer of this movie clearly understands teenage boys. <laughs> like this is <laughs> Uh, it was, yeah, her sons were very cringy to watch, I guess is what I'm saying. Um, yeah, Kieran Culkin hasn't come into his own yet. Uh, in yeah. <laughs> He's not quite at succession level yet. And also, What was he successful in, though, Kieran Culkin? I mean, what, what, his, he always looks so familiar, and I'm like, I, I, I recognize you from so many movies, but what is he famous for? Sure, that's what I was saying, Succession, the TV show um, that's on oh. HBO, and it's phenomenal if you don't watch it, and he is absolutely spellbinding in it he's terrific in it okay that's very interesting i did not know that yeah but hmm. the other thing that this movie does is the amount of time it devotes to characters that it expects you to later care about like all of those <laughs> students you referenced they get like 45 seconds of screen time and yeah. then when they come back 10 years later you're like why do why, why is this a big deal that they're here i barely remember them I, I I agree with you. The focus really was on, of course, on Meryl. And then even when Aiden Quinn, uh, Brian, the guy that like 
was in her life, but then like wasn't in her life anymore. You know, um, that was kind of a weird thing as well. And I obviously realize this is probably based on a real story. So I, whatever, but it was just as a movie, it is, it was a bit like clunky and, um, like the way that it was, it felt like two different movies, like the first hour and then the second hour. And I don't think that there was a very seamless transition um, into like the later years of her life. Um, and I think most specifically just talking about her performance, of course, as Meryl Streep was very, very good. I liked how harsh she was with the kids without being mean. I think there is sort of a line there. I think if I was a teacher, I would be the harshest teacher, which is why I keep me away from your kids. Um, but I think that one of the funniest moments, I have literally been saying this all week since I saw this movie, was when she goes out into the hall in the classroom and she goes out into the hall and then one of the kids calls her by her first name and she's like, he's like, come on, Roberta, quit playing. And I just thought that was the funny, just the idea of a small child referring to their teacher as a first name and saying, come on, Roberta. Like I just, I've been saying it all week at that, that moment, just that was my one takeaway from this movie. Yeah, I remember when you tried that in I in grade eight, and uh, and the teacher did not respond. <laughs> hey, I'm uh, Mr. Diffie. I was like, Hey, Joe, and he was like, That's not cool. That's he snapped. <laughs> I was like, All right, you and I. Um, Madonna was the original choice for this movie. Um, I don't. Oh my! I don't know about that. I need to see that film. <laughs> I need to see Madonna in this. Although, you know, she's pretty good in um, A League of Their Own. So maybe, uh, but that's, I haven't seen Evita. So that's the only Madonna acting I know. I cannot stand Madonna as an actor. I think she's awful. <laughs> I can see that. Well, I would love to see a, that train wreck. That would be a, an absolute <laughs> match made in hell. Uh, Wes Craven. Oh, Yeah. Exactly, because it's like directed by Wes Craven, so it's just a bunch of mismatch like weirdos that are all in this movie. That may, that may have a little been a little bit more interesting. <laughs> um. Okay. Unless, do you have anything else that you would like to add, or can we move on? I you can't stress enough how bad of a movie it is. It's uh, and <laughs> it, it's, it's it's it it hits that level of not even enjoyable for how bad it is when you're really at the bottom of the barrel. It is one of the worst films I've ever seen. You know, I like I I I'm always in for a Meryl mom afternoon. I'm that's fine, and I lo- I'm always in awe of her talent. But I have to say, of all the Meryl Streep movies, I yeah, this is probably one of my least favorite. I wasn't I wasn't really crazy about it. Yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna watch the uh, Devil Wears Prada later tonight just to like refresh. Yeah. <laughs> If you really, yeah, I mean, it's interesting because everyone always said that Sophie's Choice was uh, the wow. It's like for technic- for her acting in that movie, Sophie's Choice is wow, incredible. But as a movie itself, it's um, it's actually kind of boring, except for the, uh, the World War II scenes. That's really the only interesting part of the film. Okay, uh, let's talk about Julianne Moore in The End of the Affair. Uh, this is directed by Neil Jordan, and it stars um, Ralph Fiennes, a.k.a. Voldemort, uh, which is interesting because Ian Hart is also in this movie who also played Voldemort in The Philosopher's Stone when he had Voldemort like on the back of his head. So every Voldemort was in this movie, and um, Lucius Malfoy was also in this movie. So every fucking Harry Potter character and villain was in this film. 
Um, so the end of the affair. This is a movie where Ralph Fiennes has an affair with Julianne Moore. She's a married woman in London, and they um, have uh, yeah. It's pretty straightforward. They have an affair, and then they break up, and then they get back together, and then spoiler alert, she dies. Um, it's this really one of those movies that you can tell was probably like a play. Or something, because it it there was a book written is, in fifty one, I believe. Yeah, and there was it, it. I think it was Deborah Kerr that starred in the original movie in the in the fifties, and um, you know, okay. So let's talk about Julianne Moore in this movie. So, um, first out like out the gate, I just have to say how surprised I was at how good her British accent was. I do a lot of accents in my act and I do a lot of accents like on this podcast whenever like I'm just making jokes and stuff like that. And I I've always kind of done accents. So I I find I'm a very harsh critic of people that do accents. And when they when they're done well, I'm always very impressed. And yeah, I was actually kind of surprised at how good because I was like, oh, Julianne Moore, I don't I don't know about that. Like, I don't know if she'd be able to pull it off because she kind of she's very American, but no, very good fancy posh british accent and it, it and this was a period piece and um and 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 yeah also i do want to say that of all of the best actress nominees the only best picture nominee was american beauty so all of these performances that we watched they were it was just the performances that was singled out which makes sense to me because yeah i do have to agree with you that some of these movies were pretty painful <laughs> uh what did you think about the end of the affair uh, well, I think all of the films we had to watch are incredibly white. These are, mm. uh, this is a slate of white people movies. And uh, <laughs> The End of the Affair is the whitest of them all. Truly mm -hmm. the M&M of the bunch. It's, uh, <laughs> it's a lot of, it's a, and actual, their, their actual whiteness too. I mean, she's playing a, a British lady in the four. That's like, I'm like, did they? paint her like white um <laughs> right <laughs> you're, you're right on the accent she's from tobacco road in north carolina and she absolutely home runs the accent um i thought the performance was great because it's julianne moore um mm -hmm. and she has obviously a little bit more to play with than meryl streep did in the previous movie we just talked about there's a yeah. lot <laughs> more going on emotionally she her husband, she doesn't, you know, the classic situation in an affair. She loves uh, Ray Fiennes more, but she also feels loyalty to her husband. And you get to watch her be torn up from that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I thought uh, really quick, I have the first movie. I don't know if you're like this, but the first movie I ever see somebody in, especially if it's a very strong character or performance, really stays with me. So the first Ray Fiennes movie I ever saw was Red Dragon. And right <laughs> with him angrily typing into a typewriter, this is a diary of hate. And I was like, run, Julian Moore, run. <laughs> you. He's going to try and eat you. Um, yes. <laughs> and and so that, like really, I was like, he is not likable at all in that film. Uh, but maybe that was just me, uh, my old uh, nightmares of Red Dragon. But back to Julianne Moore, I thought she she nailed this one. It's it's great, uh, and like all Julianne Moore performances, I think you see her breasts uh, eighteen times in the film. Yeah. 
And some Ralph Fine ass. You see a lot of Ralph Fine's ass, which I'm not complaining about. But they they seem to both in Red Dragon. You see his ass, and uh, I know. <laughs> and in every Julianne Moore movie, you see her her, her titties, and uh, they really took those for a walk in this film as much as they could. <laughs> There's a lot of sex scenes, a lot of them. And, yeah, and they're um, I find a couple of them are like oddly out of place, where it's just like. You know what I mean? It's like this, uh, I, well, you know, I'll butcher it right now, but it's like, well, my word, I've never, and that's kind of the whole movie, but then all of a sudden it goes like really raunchy. Like it's not, yeah. they're not making love in these, they're fucking. Like, this is oh yeah, no, they're, they're going to pound town for sure. <laughs> yeah, all the, all the way ticket. Yeah, um, I would definitely um, say that um, when I watched this movie, I for sure looked up like because Ralph Fiennes actually goes naked a lot in his movies. I because I I was like, wasn't he naked in Red Dragon? And then he was because he has that tattoo all over his body. And then um, in this, he was naked. And then I was like, I feel like Ralph Fiennes gets naked a lot. So I actually Googled it. There was like this whole article written that was just about how many times he's gone naked. And then you're saying that Julianne Moore gets naked a lot. So maybe they're like, I will only do this movie if I can do tits and ass. And so <laughs> great. Great. Um. I did find um, that one of my favorite lines was whenever um, Ralph Fiennes and Julianne Moore are like fucking on that chaise and then Henry comes in and I just, I kept every five seconds, Julianne Moore would be like, Henry, like every five seconds, Henry. Um, so he would come in and then, and then fucking Ralph Fiennes would be like, oh my God, like what if he heard us, you know, having sex? And then she was like, he wouldn't recognize the sound. And I just, I love that line. And she, she's so like British, like, bitchy like tongue-in-cheek like sort of passive aggressive humor i i love i love those kinds of lines i think the problem that i had with this movie was they did a lot of intercuts of past and present um of like when they were together and then when they weren't together and um i found that to be very confusing because it would go back to the time during the second world war like when the when they were being like bombed and then they would be like post world war ii and then, like, they would be in that restaurant, but at that point, it was post-World War II, but then when she goes out, there's all these, like, sandbags on the wall to demonstrate that now they've gone back in time, and then it's during World War II, but the only thing that would change, because their hair stayed the same, it would just be, like, their clothes would change, and I found that to be very confusing. I don't know if that, I don't know, maybe that was just me, but, like, I... Oftentimes I got like lost at where they were in their relationship and where they were with the affair. Oh, no, this um, is incredibly validating, Kyle. I love hearing this because I yeah. experience, and you know when that happens when you lose track in the film and you're like, oh, am I, am I dumb? Uh, yeah, so, right. So you saying this makes me feel great because that was my biggest criticism of the film is, and specifically the scene you're talking about when Henry walks in, and then they just don't seem to care. I'm, <laughs> I'm like, he's downstairs. What are you doing? Yeah. And then yeah. in one of those times, it was revealed that it was a flashback. And he was and she was fantasizing about a previous time they made love. Uh, although we know <laughs> down, it's not called making love. But, yeah. <laughs> but the flashback and then it goes back to her. But the flashback is from a time where he did walk in and then mm -hmm. this time he walked in and it was just her. It's one of them. That part is one of the most confusing flashbacks I've ever seen. It's like an inception. Like this is a flashback in a flashback. Mm -hmm. um, uh, it was confusing. Yeah, I know. It was very confusing.
very, very confusing. Um, you know, I think that to be honest with you, there wasn't really a lot to her character other than the fact that she felt like someone's property, like the whole movie. So it was like all these people were like following her and anything that she did, it was like, you know, she was stepping out of line because like her husband, you know, tell like Ralph Fiennes is like, I'll hire an investigator to follow her and see if she's like, you know, betraying her wedding vows. And obviously during this time, like in the forties, like women and your wife was literally like your property and how, um, you know, uh, they needed to have proof for grounds of divorce and um, everything that she did in this movie, it was either just about sex or um, how she needed to like be, she needed to stay in line or how she needed to be pursued by men to make sure that she didn't step out of line. And if she did, then she needed to be punished for it. And it was, I don't know, like obviously like um, Julianne Moore brought quite a bit of depth to the role because you have sympathy for her character because, you know, she is technically kind of the bad guy in um, they, they don't present it that way, obviously, but she is kind of the bad guy in, in the film. And um, so is Ralph Fiennes, but you do have sympathy for their story. And I think that that is um, because of the acting and the way that they brought depth to the character and to the role. But overall, like there wasn't really a lot to her character. It was mostly, she was an object of desire or she was someone's property. And I found that to be kind of annoying after a while. Yeah, um, it was like that. And that is honestly why I, I really enjoyed the performance so much, because I completely agree with you where I'm like, wow, like all you're given right now is like loyalty to Henry, but want to fuck Ray Fine so much. Yeah. And that's yes. what she was given. And she does so much with it. But mm-hmm. I, I completely agree with the criticism uh, of that. Uh, it's, I mean, yeah, I don't, I don't know how else to say it. It's like it's a one-dimensional character that she somehow uh, brought like as much as possible out of it. Mm-hmm. And I love how you know the foreshadowing where it was like, oh, she's gonna die because I, fir- I think the first fifteen minutes into the movie, she starts getting a cough. And then, you know, like, okay, all we're missing now is she's going to pull up a white hanky to her mouth and then she's going to cough. And when she pulls it back, there's going to be blood. And then that's how, you know, she's going to die because they always use that as a device in these movies. That's how everyone starts dying in a period piece. They just start coughing. (laughs) And then then that's it. And then you're like, oh, this bitch is going to die soon. She just coughed with a hanky. You know, it's over now. They never have that scene where the doctor comes in like, we've tried all the leeches we have and nothing's. <laughs> um, and then 40 minutes later, boom. Yeah, right. Um, so the I thought it was actually kind of cool whenever um, they were in that house and then the bomb hits and then Ralph Fiennes goes flying like three or four flights of stairs and then she you know starts she finds him and she's like oh he's dead and then she starts praying to whatever whomever because she doesn't say god she was like i'm praying to you know basically whoever will listen or whatever's listening that like you know i'll stop the affair if you bring him back to life and then um you know he does come back to life and then she feels conflicted and it was all just you know like it was it was just kind of a little cheesy and um I just think that Ralph Fiennes and Julianne Moore really brought like a lot of 
great acting and depth to the role because overall this movie is it's kind of silly like it's really cheesy to watch and I, I i think there's kind of a reason why you have a lot of people haven't really heard of this film before yeah and uh, um, and, and and following music of the heart this is so far the way you're presenting them is also the order i've watched them in and uh <laughs> yeah i was really hoping for something that would uh grab me after music of the heart and this did not I have to. I agree. Uh, a, a little fact about this movie: so Miranda Richardson and Kristen Scott Thomas were both considered for the role of Sarah. That's the role that Julianne Moore was playing. I would definitely see Miranda Richardson playing something like this. But honestly, Julianne Moore, I actually think was the right choice. Very impressed with the accent. Really great acting. Really cheesy story and kind of a. I think that there's a lot of like affair type movies that are a lot more interesting. Uh, but. You know, uh, I, I would if anybody if you like Julianne Moore, I would say check it out. But like, you know, it is it is a little it is a little corny to watch. But you know, it give it a watch. Give it a watch. Uh, do you have anything else that you would like to add about this movie before we move on? Title's very confusing. They could have called it the beginning, middle, and end of the affair. Like, <laughs> it doesn't cover it all. I don't understand why it's the end of the affair. I mean, I guess that maybe is the spoiler alert that she dies, and that's even in the title, but. Yeah, no, I know it was a little confusing. And also, yeah, I didn't love the editing choice of the of how like the intercuts of past and present. I found it very confusing. Mm-hmm. Okay, <clears throat> let's talk about Janet Janet McTeer in the movie Tumbleweeds. Um, this movie was directed by Gavin O'Connor, who is the trucker guy that plays Jack. Um. So it was like also written by him. And this is actually based on Angela Shelton's real life experience growing up with her mother, like constantly moving around. She came up with the story and then Gavin O'Connor wrote the script. Um, You know, in terms of like a script, you know, this this story really isn't anything original. It's not really anything groundbreaking. It's it's literally just a story of, you know, like like my mama's always dating all these horrible men. And then whenever they break up, we hit the road and we're going to Alabama and we're going to, I don't know, we're going to California and we're just going to go everywhere because she runs away because we're tumbleweeds. And that's kind of what this, it's, it's nothing new. And um, I I thought that the story was um, incredibly repetitive. It was the same structure over and over. She meets a guy and then it doesn't work out. And then she moves and then she, meets another guy and then it doesn't work out and then she moves and then in the end you know she finds the right man to hitch her wagon to so then she decides to stay the end so the story itself is very uninspired it's nothing really you know uh great jenic mater was also nominated for a supporting role for the movie albert knobs um this was her first academy award nomination this was in a leading role and you know in the movie she plays the mom and she's just that really sweet sort of like almost like a Dolly Parton Southern Belle sweetheart. That's very easy to like. And she's like a great mom. And (laughs) what did you think about this movie, Alex? (laughs) Okay. So this is another film where I feel like, so she nails the accent. She's an English actor, actor who, um, Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Um, and now how good does that accent sound of, uh, that Southern accent? Is, uh, True. is really spot on and not uh, too much of a caricature. And uh, as far as the film overall, I would say, like, did you like Little Miss Sunshine? Well, right. 
take out the humor ensemble performances uh, <laughs> actual events that happen and you got the same movie it's uh there's a lot of uh driving through the desert uh, with a uh, uh 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 you know not nuclear family uh that's uh kimberly j brown who plays the daughter i thought should have gotten a supporting nomination she's t- terrific in it uh uh-huh. absolutely terrific one of those classic like uh, you know, like that Haley Joel Osment, uh, like, oh, my Lord, you're like 12 years old in real life in this movie and just killing it. Um, yeah. The, uh, and then also I, I see a little bit of uh, Aaron Brockovich in this film. It's a, it's a little bit totally like, it's a little bit like Aaron Brockovich. But again, just uh, without things happening. Um, <laughs> it's like. <laughs> Did you want to watch Rockovich drive across the country a bunch of times? Yeah. It's so funny that it's called Tumbleweeds. I was like, did they, is this, is that part of it? Or do they not even know how funny that is? Cause that's literally like the, like, you know, the old reference for when something boring is happening as Tumbleweeds blow by. I was like, is that, did you know that you were doing that? Um, also, I, uh, I would uh, also just like to point out uh, for, so I missed some, of this movie because I have a website where I, I, I will go on to watch uh, films if they're not on any of the Crave, Netflix, any of the mm-hmm. streaming platforms. And it's mm-hmm. uh, it's like one of those illegal ones. I've watched like documentaries I didn't think anybody else saw, HBO movies from the 90s. I couldn't believe everything's on this website. Tumbleweeds was not on it. <laughs> Weird. <laughs> I on YouTube and I was like, well, let's see. And I, yeah, you can buy, you can watch it for $5 on YouTube, but somebody uploaded the entire film uh, for free. And I was like, yeah. wow, that's how you know a film is very uh, not in demand is when you can just have the entire thing on YouTube ad free, not getting in trouble. <laughs> it's not a threat yeah, to their profit margins. <laughs> and, and, and all they did was take out a couple of the songs. They were like, I don't have the rights to a couple of these songs. So they're not in it. And then when, when they wrote that in the description, I thought, are you the producer of the film? Cause I don't think you have rights to the rest of the movie, but you seem to not have a concern about it. And also I thought, just put the songs in. No one's watching this. Yeah, that's right. I uh, started watching that version too, but I switched over to a different website because of the music thing as well. Um, It's funny because uh, one of my favorite moments of this movie was, do you remember whenever they're like on the road at first and then she starts drinking an RC Cola? Oh yeah, that's (laughs) Do you, do you remember? I remember when I was a kid, we used to have like, um, it was Place Orleans in, in Orleans in Ottawa. And there was like a, there used to be a Walmart there. And I remember there was an RC Cola machine. It was blue. And all of the buttons were like yellow and brown because it was so old and dirty. But it was like the cola was only 25 cents each. And I always got it. And it was always like room temperature, like spicy cola. Oh, fucking RC Cola. Disgusting. They they don't make that anymore, right? I mean, I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if they do. But uh, see, you're just not a uh, a sea level uh, dark soda connoisseur because RC Cola is actually <laughs> best served warm, Kyle. It's uh, it's a little bit like oh, a, a little bit like a nice bottle of red. You don't want it even chilled. You you want it uh, <laughs> temperature. Yeah, no RC Cola, something RC Cola. Like just hearing it 
uh, is put you in a time machine if you're a 90 <laughs> kid, you know? And then when I, yeah, that is my favorite part of the movie probably is. <laughs> also something else that was confusing about this movie to me is, um, is she just, she's like broke all the time driving everywhere, but can just easily find a place to live in all of these cities and, mm-hmm. and, and at one point in the last city they land in, she like, it seems like she owns a home. And I'm like, I would like to see a little bit of exposition on where yeah. the fuck this money's coming from. Well, that's the thing. She would show up at like a motel, but then the motel was like a house. And then she was at someone's house. And then she went to that weird coworker of hers that said that she was butt chugging coffee. Like she was sticking coffee enemas up her ass and like partying. And I was like, what is this? And I'm like, this was obviously written by a dude, which it was. Listen, I think we can both agree that this movie is not very well written because where the, where the, the, the interesting part comes in, honestly, it's just Janet McTeer and her daughters acting because she did win the golden globe for this role. And, you know, whenever she would break up with a guy, her acting was incredible whenever she was desperate for a job you felt her desperation um whenever she was fighting with a soon-to-be ex-boyfriend it got like shit got real it got violent it got scary you know um i think that janet mcteer is an incredible actor that brought a lot of i brought her a game to this role but i think that the screenplay is just awful like the writing for this is is just terrible yeah, I uh, I agree with that in assessment wholeheartedly. It is really uh, a testament to how good both performances are that I was like engaged the whole time, uh, mm-hmm. despite the fact the the uh, aforementioned tumbleweeds nature of the movie. Um, the one thing I guess I didn't like, and especially this is like how it's always written too, is like uh, the daughter is uh, sort of also raising the mother, and it's like she's right. almost the voice of reason sometimes, and it. It's like that Ed Harris line, like, we're not teaching radio. Radio's teaching us. Like, okay, I mean, right. I don't know about <laughs> that. Uh, I, yeah, I, I thought uh, Janet McTeer uh, plays plays it so well. And, uh, I, I again, the accent is just absolutely spectacular. Um, mm-hmm. I really liked uh, when she quits the job, too, because that was his, like, written pretty cheesy and she makes it believable and exciting. And again, not a lot of screen time was devoted to the the job she lands in the, in that town. Uh, mm. She obviously hates it the whole time. And when she quits, you're like, you, you get that uh, living vicariously through her. And uh, they, they didn't give her much for that job. It was like, she wasn't even being like um, mistreated at the job very much, but when she quits it, you feel it. And you're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah get out of there. <laughs> high paying job that's going to turn your life around. Wait, why are you quitting? I don't care. It doesn't make sense. (laughs) You're great at this. I think the scene that I was like, was whenever, remember when she's like rubbing toothpaste with her finger in her mouth. And then she starts rubbing toothpaste, like in the guy's mouth. Mm -hmm. And then they have like toothpaste mouth. And there's all this like spit on their face. And they're like making, Oh my God, I literally, and then the kid walks in and I'm like, (laughs) 
I think I'd be more traumatized seeing that as a kid than actually seeing my parents fucking like that is just fucking just I hate spit. That was I had to fast forward through the scene. I literally almost threw up like that was such a disgust. Give her the Oscar just for that scene. Like that was so fucking gross. Yeah, it's a it's a a repugnant scene. And uh, for sure, Uh, it's also too very strange that when the daughter comes in, she's more dismayed that the trucker is back in the life then <laughs> i'm like yo yo ask about the trucker second ask what the fuck's going on with this toothpaste like <laughs> yeah right <laughs> i was waiting for him to go full domestic the whole movie and he didn't and i was like oh okay i yes, thought that that's yeah, kind of i did notice that too by the way i don't know if you uh picked up on this little easter egg but the toothpaste was actually rc brand toothpaste as well <laughs> oh uh, I also, one of my favorite moments was when the old lady drama teacher, she was like a hundred and she was like trying to explain to them like what a duel was. And she was like, well, if somebody has insulted you, and then she tries to relate to the kids and she's like, hmm, how would I say insult? And then she's like, if someone dissed you, <laughs> and I just love the way that she says dissed you. And then the kids are like, oh, now I get it. And that fucking kid with that with the fucking like nineties hair and like just yeah yeah sorry uh, I forgot I, I totally forgot about that part that serial Joe hairstyle he's got is terrific <laughs> I totally forgot about that. <laughs> Um, Janet Mateer took this film as a labor of love because she was hardly paid for her involvement. So I guess that her win was the Academy Award nomination. I mean, she really, yeah, she brought a lot of reality to the role, but it's not very well written and the story gets very, very repetitive. Frankly, I wouldn't really recommend this movie to anybody listening, but if you want to check it out, as previously mentioned, it is on YouTube. Um, Do you have anything else that you would like to add before we move on? Uh, I always like when an indie, uh, especially as it was made on $312,000 and grossed $1.3 million at the box office. So um, I hated Music of the Heart so much that I was happy that it lost $13 million. And then seeing, <laughs> seeing this one make a million, I was just hoping that like uh, that Wes Craven was like just screaming into a pillow when he saw that like this, this piece of shit outdid me. Like, yeah, man, that's how bad your fucking movie was. I love it. Um, okay, so let us talk about Annette Benning in American Beauty, directed by Sam Mendes and written by Alan Ball. So American Beauty is not a film that has aged very well, especially with the Kevin Spacey narrative. But anybody that has not seen American Beauty... Part, oh, sorry, pardon me, what was that? What happened to Kevin Spacey? <laughs> Are you... You're joking. Yeah, yeah. Right. Uh, so American Beauty is the story of, at the time, a typical suburban white family and how like appearances can be deceiving. American Beauty is actually a type of flower. It's a type of flower that um, it looks very beautiful, but um, the roots are often easily rotten. So the point of it was supposed to be like looks can be deceiving and there's more to it. And so basically it's supposed to be this all American family, but like everything is like super fucked up. Kevin Spacey's into like a 17 year old tries to fuck her. The daughter is into a weird stalker boyfriend, uh, Wes Bentley, who's really creepy and like won't stop filming her. 
like basically a stalker. Um, you have a neighbor. His father is like a closeted gay Nazi. That was fun. And then you have Annette Benning, who is this real estate agent. Uh, she's the wife. She's the matriarch of the family trying to keep everything together. And her whole character is about presenting an image of success and that if you present an image of success, then you are successful. It's not about being successful. It's the idea of not appearing weak. And I think that where her acting really comes in to shine is whenever she does uh, have those moments of vulnerability, like when she can't sell the house, so she closes all the blinds and then she starts crying, but she thinks that that's pathetic. So then she starts like wailing on herself, just like slapping herself across the face, telling herself to stop and she's not a victim. And um, this is probably one of my favorite Annette Benning roles. I feel like she was probably um, the biggest contender against Hillary Swank to probably win this Oscar um, during like when they were voting for this back in 2000. And I think that this is one of her best performances. I've seen this movie many, many times. Although, like I said before, it doesn't really age well. And frankly, that whole thing with Mina Suvari and Kevin Spacey, I'm not going to lie. I actually like fast forwarded through a lot of it because it's really uncomfortable to watch. Um, what did you think about this movie? <laughs> I've, I, you know, I want to add some uh, conflict or some different opinions on the movie, but just everything you said, you read right off of my heart. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I, uh, so I was 13 when this movie came out and I was living in the suburbs and I was like, this movie gets it. This, right. This movie gets it. Um, and then, yeah, it hasn't aged well in a variety of ways. Obviously, seeing like a two household income uh, white family uh, having it so tough is uh, ages terribly in and of itself. Uh, Kevin Spacey's uh, thing with Mina Suvari obviously doesn't age well with Kevin Spacey's uh, mm -hmm. you know, conduct. And, um, and also, too, it's very strange, like you said, how Jane is uh, wooed by this uh, maniacal stalker. And the moment she really comes to, like, stop being creeped out by him and start to uh, reciprocate his romantic feelings is when he lights her name on fire in on her own property. <laughs> and that makes her, like, she goes, that's, that's when she's like, well... Maybe there's something more that meets the eye to this guy. And I'm like, what are you, what? Um, <laughs> also, the, like, yeah, he's crazy. <laughs> and then again, there's no exposition on like, what did your, did no one see this? Where's the fire department? What happened to her? Her parents are just okay that that happened. And they, I guess that's the point is they're, they're probably aloof, but I just don't get how a fire just goes out on its own on somebody's lawn. And, and right. because they've already shown Annette Benning is obsessed with the, um, the uh, you know aesthetic of her home uh that's her whole thing but focusing on the performance who yeah i mean i remember as a kid being blown away by it i still think annette benning's performance uh holds up as much as the rest of the movie doesn't um she's absolutely terrific her range in it is just all over the place um in in a good way like she can play so many different things when she's the scene that you highlighted when she's slapping herself in the face after the showing doesn't go well is that's terrific. And it's obviously such a big, you know, um, 
risk and such a big like choice to be doing it and playing it like that. But I also mm-hmm. love the lead up to it when she's the, you know, montage, I guess it is of her showing the place to a bunch of different couples and people is terrific. Uh, it's so cheesy. She plays that like smarmy real estate agent that you just is being so fake. Um, Uh and that it's turning everybody off and she does it so well. I remember just so vividly watching that scene as a kid and just thinking like, this is, I'm like grossed out by how fake she's being and how, and how obviously fake it is. It's like thinly veiled and like the cheesy real estate agent. Yeah. I mean, she has so much to play with in this film and then she does it. I mean, it's, um, and how she will go so quickly from like that, like, Oh, and the pool is very lagoon like to like slapping herself in the face 45 seconds later in real time. And you're just strapped in for that entire ride. I, uh, yeah, I, I absolutely love Annette Benning in American Beauty. I think it's all, all of the cliche tour de force, just all of mm-hmm. it. No, I, I, I agree with you because you see every single angle of this woman's perspective and you understand why she is. You see, you understand how she was when she was younger. You understand like why she's upset about something. You understand why she's being fake about something. You understand her anger. You understand why she wants to get revenge. You understand why she feels bad about it. Um, she actually based this performance on women that she knew from her youth because she used to babysit a lot when she was younger. And she said that the way that she would see women when they were at church, and then you would see how they would present themselves when they were in their home. And you would see this huge difference of how fake people were. And she was basing the performance off of that. Also, Annette Benning not winning the Oscar actually prevented it from being the fourth film in Oscar history to win all top five awards, which, which is like, um, because uh, Silence of the Lambs won like, you know, best picture, best actor, best director, best actress, best writing. And those are like the five. Right. And so if she would have won this, it would have been um, the fourth film in Oscar history to do that. Um, this was the first best picture Oscar for DreamWorks. Holly Hunter and Helen Hunt were both considered for the role of Carolyn. That's um, Annette Benning's character is Carolyn. I don't know how I would feel about Helen Hunt in this role, but I could see Holly Hunter. Um, The dance that the Spartanettes did where like Kevin Spacey first realizes that he's attracted to Mina Suvari at the school, the cheerleaders, the little dance they're doing (laughs) so random, but this, that dance was choreographed by Paula Abdul. (laughs) Very weird. That's interesting. (laughs) Yes. So random. Um, Not that it was like, so like, wow, but like, I guess call in Paula Abdul because she knows how to do it. Uh, Lester, Kevin Spacey's character, was actually originally offered to Chevy Chase. And then he was like, no, like, I only do family films. And it was also offered to Tom Hanks, which I don't know if this is like a Tom Hanks kind of movie. I can tell why he probably said no to this. Um, I think that one of my one of my I have two favorite lines from this movie, and both of them are Annette Benning. It's when fucking Peter Gallagher from the OC is like fucking her in the motel. And she's like, fuck me, her majesty. And then she's like, oh, that was exactly what I needed. That the royal treatment. Those kinds of. What's that? She, she says, that's what I needed. The royal treatment. The royal treatment. It's so funny. <laughs> like just like having to film a scene like that, like just slow clap for Annette Betty because God, that has got to be so fucking weird and awkward to film something like that. So I I thought that was really, really funny. And I also love when she tells her daughter when she's like, you can't count on anyone else but yourself. 
And then the daughter is like, um, wow, like, you know, typical 90s teenager, like, oh, are we going for like a, a Kodak moment? And then she just swats her across the face and she's like, you ungrateful brat. When I was younger, you know, I was living in a duplex and, you know, I, there's just so many layers to this character where she doesn't just seem like a character in the movie. She seems like a real person and you understand every angle and, and all of her motivations of why she's acting the way that she's acting. And um, I don't know, like this is probably one of my favorite performances by Annette Benning. this and um, the kids are all right. Um, I love whenever she gets caught in the, in the car at Smiley Burger with Peter Gallagher, mm-hmm. who's just cheating on Kevin Spacey, and that that uh, the actress that's standing with Kevin Spacey in the window, who uh, is like, "You are so busted!" Like, just there were a lot of like really funny moments, and but it's also kind of a serious movie as well. It's like a dramedy almost, you know. And um, mm-hmm. I think it, of of all the performances, I would definitely say that Annette Benning was definitely my favorite because yeah, I would I would say that all of the other characters were very unlikable and problematic in so many different ways. And I didn't really care for many of them. Although Mina Suvari was like kind of, you know, she was, she was good in this movie. And if she got an Oscar nomination for a supporting role, I wouldn't really be surprised, but um, yeah, I would say Annette Benning was probably the best part of this movie for me. Yeah, definitely. And then uh, Amina Suvari's uh, performance really, um, and with the character reveal at the end, and uh, how she is just like everybody else in the movie, because the whole film, it seems like she is above all of this stuff. Like, oh, you are uh, not the American beauty flower. Like you do have it all together and you seem very sure of yourself, confident, OK with who you are. And then at the end, it's, oh, no, all of that was fake. You're maybe the fakest person in the entire film. And then the last mm-hmm. five minutes, she sets it on fire. Uh it's it's fantastic uh, from that. It kind of makes you like it's really interesting rewatching it and then knowing who she is the entire time and then watching it. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I do agree with you. It's weird that uh, Kevin Spacey was so lauded for this performance, where it's it's good, but it's like I, I it pales in comparison to Annette Bening. It's like it's silly. Um, he threw mm-hmm. a plate against the wall. Big deal. Like that's. <laughs> <laughs> he laughs he's smoking weed. I, I mean, I don't know. Um, yeah, Annette Benning is the best part of the movie. I wholeheartedly agree with that. I think that um, so uh, the scene where he does throw the asparagus against the wall, he was actually supposed to throw it on the floor. So her reaction when he throws it against the wall was genuine. Um, also, Kirsten Dunst was actually the first choice for Mino Savari's character. And she said no because she's like i hate the uh, the image or the idea of lying naked with rose petals on a couch while kevin spacey is on top of me <laughs> which fair um you know i get that the workplace hazard <laughs> um Annette Benning, yeah, I agree with you. Tour de force. I think that she was the right choice for this movie. Um, I love whenever, you know, he almost spills the beer on the couch. And then he's like, it's just a couch. And she's like, this is $4,000 worth of Italian upholstered suede, like blah, blah, blah. Like, I I feel like I understood Annette Benning's character. And I understood her, her anger a lot in this movie. And she was a sympathetic character when she was supposed to be like, the wife you know and she made it so much more complicated than that and there was so much depth to 
her performance and I thought she did a really, really great job. Um, do you have anything else that you would like to say about this movie before we move on? I just kind of disagree with you about, uh, I have no sympathy for her character though. I think they're all reprehensible and she's no different to me. I, I always Mm -hmm. thought like the performance is absolutely fantastic, but I have no, I just think it's a, it's I, Jane is the only person I feel bad for in the entire film and the only person I empathize with in any way. And I, but, uh, uh, other than that, I'm completely on uh, the same page as you. All right. Um, all right. Okay. So let's talk about Hillary Swank in Boys Don't Cry, who was the winner. So there were a lot that this film took a very long time to make. Nobody wanted to make it um, because they thought, oh, it's about a trans person. Like, ugh, like who wants to go pay money to see that? Also, the subject matter of the movie is very disturbing and it's not your typical sort of Hollywood movie. It's very gritty. It's very dark. Um, this was uh, Hillary. Whenever um, the uh, uh, director Kimberly Pierce was uh, looking for t- uh, the person to play Brandon Tina, uh, she actually uh, was looking for a trans male actor, but couldn't find the right person because um, she really wanted somebody that could carry a feature film. It took a very long time. She even auditioned boys. She auditioned girls and everything. And Hillary eventually won the role over because she showed up to the audition dressed like Brandon Tina and lied about where she was from and um, was basically fully in character. And later Kimberly Pierce actually confronted Hillary about like the lies during the audition. And then Hillary Swank was like, well, that's what Brandon would have done. She was like, Oh my God, you just blew my mind. Um, I will be honest with you. Um, I have a very, very hard time watching this movie. It's extremely violent in so many ways, not because you have murder, you have hate crime, you have rape. Um, and the whole movie is all just building up to that. There's so much anxiety and tension that builds up to that. And I just, um, obviously a trigger warning for anybody listening, but you know, as an LGBTQ person, um, when you are, um, try a lot of LGBTQ people. We're typically always trying to survive. That's how we are taught in our lives is basically how to blend in, how to survive. We often migrate to large cities because there's more of us and we feel safer in cities. When you're in small town, I work in small town, Canada. I know, uh, you know, I often will dress a certain way because I don't want to be a target. It's a survival thing. And watching this movie, it's extremely difficult to watch because the whole time um, Brandon Tina is putting themselves in a very vulnerable, very dangerous position because, you know, it's like you are obviously a trans person and you're going even deeper into the South to you're walking into your own death. And it's like so many red flags going off during the entire time when you're watching this movie. And um, yeah, I had a really, really hard time because I've, I've, I've seen this movie many times, obviously, but I've watched this movie for this podcast like less than a year ago. And I think I just revisited it too soon. And I just, had a very hard time watching it. It It's all very real and just scary. And um, I'm glad that we don't need to continually make LGBTQ movies where it ends in a hate crime or it ends in AIDS or it ends in some horrible thing. Um, and I'm glad that we're getting away from these narratives because these movies um, deeply affect LGBTQ people because we think that we deserve that. And these are the narratives that we need to see all the time. Um, 
That being said, Hilary Swank was amazing in this movie. So what did you think about this movie, Alex? Uh, sorry, I'm just so confused by a lot of the things you said. Uh, Hilary Swank's it. Okay. Uh, I thought I thought Drew Barrymore and Whoopi Goldberg had like a really good dynamic in this movie. Uh, what? I don't know what? What are we talking about? Oh, shit. Are you talking... I think I watched Boys on the Side by mistake. <laughs> Sorry, I just thought I would cut the tension there. Um, yeah, uh, <clears throat> everything you said, but obviously I, you know, yeah, you try to empathize, but you just can't relate in the same way you did. I thought, um, because you're my buddy, I fucking halfway through was like, oh, I can't believe Kyle has to watch this. This is, I'm, <laughs> it was so intense. It was so fucking intense. Mm. Um I've never cried watching a, a film or or a, uh, a a TV show before. I came as close as I've come watching this movie. Um, really, a couple times too. It's just so I wasn't expecting it to be honest with you. Like, um, mm-hmm. I I just thought it would be like uh, a, a tough a tough movie to watch for sure. Um, mm-hmm. uh, but yeah, oh my god, and yeah, that's I mean a lot of that's from Hilly Swank's performance, obviously. Um, Sarsgaard is incredible in everything he fucking touches. And in this movie, it's no different. And then now he did such a good job. I'm like, well, I fucking hate you forever. Like, I can't get past it. incredible in it. But, oh, my God, is our Hilary Swank is unbelievable in it. Um, uh, Yeah, and and it was. It's so difficult to watch. It's so... uh, I mean, yeah, I, I just, uh, and then hearing you talk about it just now is difficult to hear you talk about it. Um, uh-huh. and then like to know that, like, as you know, I've been, um, you know, I've never committed hate crimes or anything like that, but I for sure have like, uh, just by proxy of being a straight white male and complicit in this kind of stuff. Uh, uh-huh. and that made me feel fucking awful. Uh, it's, I mean, it's like one of those films that's like, I'm not, it's, it's so much more than a film, which is also such a cliche, cheesy thing to say, but it, it's fucking, mm-hmm. it's intense. It's, it's like, when, I know. it's like you're watching a dramatic documentary almost. Um, and also it's shot so fucking brilliantly to like, not let you escape that at all. Um, mm-hmm. a lot of it is like, seems really, very like guerrilla style in the directing. So you're, that makes you there for it all. Um, I hate that at the beginning, they make you feel like Sarsgaard is doing, the, he does, he's doing the right thing at the beginning and he's protecting Hillary Swank, but that's because he doesn't know who Hillary Swank is. And then when he finds out he's, and then it's like such a heel turn, um, but yeah, to, to, to zero in on Hillary Swank, like it's, <laughs> I'm just like a mumbling mess right now. Cause it's like, holy shit. Like, holy I know. shit. I don't know what to say. It's fucking wild. How good it is. It is wild. How good that performance is. Uh, so yeah. believable. So yeah. emotionally draining. So like, yes, you're rooting, you're rooting for, uh, him, the whole movie. Um, uh oh fuck and then yeah like you said i mean you're oh yeah the end then the ending is you know it's coming the whole time but it still doesn't make it any easier and it's still 
I'm like such an idiot. I'm always watching like, ha, oh, come on, like fucking just get out together right now before this happens, yep. please get the fuck out. And then it doesn't. And Oh God, the piece of shit who's friends with Peter Sarsgaard did such a good job too. I fucking hate that guy. Like to the, like, yeah. Oh, I, I, I can't talk about the movie. I don't have anything like any, any like intellectual fucking, or even like cinematic, like things to say about it. It, yeah, man, I fucking, it's, it's the power of film. You know what I mean? Like you, you mm. can see why that movie was so important and like, it should be like required viewing for so many uh, people and not like uh, people on the wrong side. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. And uh, the relationship between Hillary Swank and uh, Chloe Svegny, I didn't, I never say her last name right. Is like, absolutely their chemistry is off the fucking charts their magic together you want them to be together it seems like they should be um yeah i i mean yeah yeah i fucking wasn't expecting it to be that good because i always just find like um and i always am wrong but like usually it's like going into like philadelphia like anything that feels like it's going to be too heavy-handed if that makes sense Uh um where it's just like uh but then uh, yeah this movie it, it just is unbelievable it's such a good movie uh even though and it's so difficult to watch it is and i think i think the thing that i i think what you said best is emotionally draining i um what cuz i i know everything that's happening it cuz the whole film is basically just like a 2 hour hate crime and it, it's it's it, it 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 just keeps building and building and building and stuff like that and um it's like when you are a gay person watching this, it's like you can pick up on the signs and the threats of like, oh God, get out of there. Like you can feel how unsafe everything is. But let's talk about this performance specifically. It's so real. Like it felt extremely real and everyone was on point. Yeah, Peter Skarsgård, who was playing John Lauder, the the, uh, the guy that uh, killed Brandon Tina was a, a fucking awful piece of shit and he played it extremely well. And I think, like like Hillary Swank's character got punched a lot in the face. Uh-huh. Uh, and I think that where Hillary's um, Oscar moment for me was when she has to describe Brandon's rape and how hard that is for him to describe that and like, you know, uh, his body parts and what happened and, there's sort of like a like not only are you describing the trauma of the assault, but you're also describing body parts and, um, you know, trauma that happened to those body parts that you don't really believe belong to you. And so th- that's kind of like a double edged sword there. And whenever, um, you know, Hillary, when she's doing that scene, uh, it just was so real and so difficult to watch. And I think a lot of this movie is extremely difficult to watch because every time that you you see Brandon being happy it's like you just know that there's this like menacing evil thing on the horizon that's just going to like make that stop very shortly and it's just as you said emotionally draining so um Hillary Swank uh actually lived as a boy for an entire month before leading up to filming and director Kimberly Pierce encouraged um, Hillary to even try going out and like hitting on girls and doing all those kinds of things to make it as believable as possible. Um, she was actually only paid 3000 us dollars for this role, but she won an Oscar. So everything worked out. Um, 
in real life, Lana Tisdale, the character that was Chloe, Chloe Sevigny, actually dumped Brandon when she found out that he was trans. So a lot of the story was actually very embellished. Um, the title song of the film is actually a song by The Cure. And at one point, you can hear the song playing in the background. Um, Brandon Tina's mother, Joanne Brandon, actually took offense at Hilary Swank for her Oscar speech because she thanked Brandon Tina and referred to him as a man. And uh, Joanne Brandon hated that, you know, um, I guess Brandon Tina was being gendered correctly and that's not how his mom saw it that way. And uh, she said, quote, uh, that set me off, <laughs> which is fucked. And, uh, you know, obviously like really educating ourselves about trans lives and the trans experience and trans narratives in film and television. That really is a new thing in um, Hollywood. That really is a new thing in television. And we're still barely even there. Like this is like a only in the past five years that we really begun talking about it. So I feel like this movie for a trans individual, not to speak on behalf of the trans community, but I feel like this movie would not be something that they would want to watch. It's just so fucked up. Um, Diane Keaton was originally considered uh, Diane Keaton originally considered directing this movie and having Drew Barrymore as Brandon Tina. Um, And this film also neglected to show um, an African-American man who was also murdered, who was named Philip Devine, who... um, He was removed from the story because director Kimberly Pierce felt that it made the story unwieldy and felt that uh, he was not a central character to Brandon's story. But it it pissed off a lot of people because, um, you know, you have the one person of color that was also murdered in this hate crime. And he was basically completely erased from the story altogether, which uh, a lot of people were really upset about. Um, Oh, I mean, I don't even know how to specifically you know, single out anything in this movie that was uh, like, it was just a flawless performance. She was Brandon Tina. She had the mannerisms. She was, she was very good at playing masculine and kind of playing like a boy, like having a crush on a girl and the way that you act in that regard. It was just, it just felt so real. Like she was Brandon Tina. Like it was just, uh, yeah. And like you said, emotionally draining. And I think that when something feels so real, it's a credit to the acting. Do you know what performance it really reminded me of is, uh, and this might sound strange, Al Pacino in the first Godfather and the second one, actually, for that matter, um, in that huh. just the the quiet intensity um, the entire time and so much of it in the eyes, like, um, I, I know that might sound like uh, <laughs> kind of... Uh, um, like nonverbal, you mean? Yeah, like uh, pre- I, I don't want to sound like pretentious when I say it, but just like they're both of those performances are all in the eyes um, for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and uh, Hillary Swank every time she's on camera in this film is so captivating, even if she's not doing mm-hmm. anything. Um, mm-hmm. All those real life details you just added are so depressing, and I didn't know any of that. Uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, I know already such a sad. Uh, narrative film and then to add those that's 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 terrible um but yeah uh i completely agree with you about uh the 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 performances of everybody and uh especially hillary swank it's uh yeah i mean i like talking film 
and I, I, I usually am not uh, short for words, but it's just, I'm just, it's all just uh, platitudes. <laughs> That's all I can say. Just, or mm-hmm. swear and say like, wow, fuck. It's unbelievable. And back in the nineties too, they didn't quite have the, they weren't equipped quite with the um, language, um, you know, things like non-binary mm-hmm. or, um, trans male or transitioning like they kept she kept referring to it as a i got a sexual identity crisis and i don't know what a sexual identity crisis i've never heard of that before but maybe the you know that's the term that they were using at this time and um i think that you know so i did this movie okay so the last episode i did uh we did the movie bombshell where we were um talking about john lithgow and he was the head of um fox news uh, and he was playing uh, Roger Ailes, uh, who was like sexually harassing all of these women and stuff like that. And it's one of those performances from John Lithgow where he was such a piece of shit and he was so good at it that there's no way that he would get an Oscar nomination for it because it was just he was so unlikable. But with Peter Skarsgård, I feel like it's kind of the same thing where his performance was so good. Because he was such a fucking asshole and it was so believable that like you're like, oh, maybe he should have gotten an Oscar nomination, but he just had no redeeming qualities. The guy that um, murdered uh, that he was playing a John Lauder that uh, killed Brandon uh, is still currently on death row, but many times tried to contest um, the case and tried to get off death row. Um uh yeah okay honestly yeah there's there's really not like yeah okay i i i think do you have anything else that you would like to add about this movie um the murder is uh from a directing standpoint so well done and that's why i feel fucked up saying that but like because they give you that moment of mm-hmm. maybe this isn't gonna happen and then it and then changes so suddenly and also i mean i've never witnessed a murder uh, but that feels like how somebody would kill somebody in, in that situation where they the intensity was like taking over and then they calm down for that one second and then it takes over again and they just do it in that instant. Um, and then it also made it so fucking extra brutal to watch it. Uh, that's, that's, uh, that's about all I would add. Okay. All right. Okay. So. Ending on a bit of a downer note. Um, but I think that the time has come for us to reveal who we think that the Oscar should have gone to. So, Alex, you are my guest. So I will give you the pleasure of going first. The Oscar for Best Actress for 1999 should go to... Hillary Swank. Yeah. Why? Uh, I'd honestly c- coming into this was like, uh, Annette Bening's performance in American Beauty is one of my favorite acting performances ever. Um, I was blown away by it when I was a kid. So, you know, that always like stays with you. Um, but then I'm, I, it's just, it's, it's, it's so much. She plays the small parts. Like I was saying with like that smoldering intensity in the eyes. And then when you said when she's happy, um she plays being in love so well she plays being like brave at the bar so well she plays the fucking intense parts like unrivaled unmatched it's it's uh, one of the best performances i've ever seen um and it's 
very unfortunate that I will never see it again because it's <laughs> you'd like to rewatch it to like really because that's how you could really dig in. But I will never watch that film again. Uh, mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, it's uh, it is in, in 1999 is filled with incredible female performances some of that weren't even nominated you know like julianne moore is also in magnolia incredible and um right uh reese witherspoon in election uh there's so many great performance and then hillary swank laps everybody like looks silly in comparison to hillary swank's performance in this film it's not close yeah yeah, no, I, I totally get it. Okay, great. Uh, okay, so I will go who I, I, I will go ahead. So um, <clears throat> I think the Oscar should have gone to. <laughs> Hillary Swank for Boys Don't Cry. I mean, yeah, I I feel like Annette Benning was definitely um, the probably like her biggest competition for this. Um, I think a lot of people even um, at the time uh, were angry that Annette Bening didn't win. But I think that with time, we can obviously see that Hilary Swank deserved this Oscar. And I think that the performance was so real. And, um, you know, whether or not you have a cis person playing a trans person and how problematic that can be um, in terms of representation, especially in Hollywood. I'm glad that we're having that conversation now and we're moving in a direction where there is better representation for queer and LGBTQ people. But at the time, that was not part of the conversation. And I think people need to just accept this movie for what it is and the way that it was done during that time. And I think that Hilary Swank really did justice to the role. And I really think that um, it was such a realistic performance. I think that she was the perfect choice for this. And I think that I often forget how much range that Hilary Swank has because, you know, you don't really see her that often anymore in big major motion pictures. So um, I think that uh, this movie um, and this role, this was so perfect for her. And I think that she did Brandon uh, justice and, um, I think the fact that I get very uncomfortable and I have a very hard time watching this movie really speaks to the performance because it felt so real. And um, will I be watching this again? No, because I don't have to anymore for my podcast. I've seen this movie plenty. Um, But if you've never seen it, please watch it. It is very important to watch, especially as a queer person. But of course, trigger warning, uh, it is very dark and very violent. Um, And Hilary Swank, she went there in all of the scenes. And I think that she deserved that Oscar. Okay, so Alex Wood, thank you so much for being a guest on this podcast. Um, For everybody listening, again, you can purchase his book online on Amazon, Float Like a Butterfly, Drink Mint Tea, How I Beat the Shit Out of All of My Addictions. And Alex, uh, where can people find you on social media? Uh, I'm Wood Comedy on everything. Uh, Wood like my last name, then the word comedy. Uh, And yeah, uh, that's on Instagram and Twitter. Excellent. All right. Well, thank you so much for being a guest on this podcast. We'll definitely have you back and uh, we'll see you next time.